Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Emily Ford, who walked 1,200 miles across Wisconsin's Ice Age Trail in the dead of winter. She is the first black woman part of the LGBTQ community to ever do so. It took her about 69 days, just her and her dog, Diggins, and she is here to share her story. Uh, It's a story of overcoming feelings of loneliness, exhaustion, and it's also a story of finding meaning and purpose. You're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, Disclaimer. We actually recorded an episode a week ago, and I forgot to hit record. And so Emily Ford was more than gracious enough to re-record the episode. Remember, if you're in a crisis situation right now, please call the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK. There is someone who's willing to talk to you right now. I start off this episode with asking Emily Ford, what got you out of bed this morning? <laughs> so um, I think this is this is new since I talked to you last. Well, first of all, got what actually got me out of bed. I went to the gym this morning, <laughs> so the gym did. But uh, updated from since um, last time I saw you is I have now acquired the dog that I took with me on my trip. Diggins. Diggins. And uh, I was never planning on that. Very, very vehemently, actually. I was actually against it. Um, and my partner and I, we went backpacking, or we went to a cabin this past weekend and um, took her with. And my partner's like, but can we keep her? And so we asked. And she said, then her owner said, yeah. So the, she also gets me up in the morning because I need to let her out of her kennel so she can pee. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, and, and for the listeners out there, can you talk to us about the significance of Diggins? I know that Diggins was one of the dogs that uh, accompanied you during this 1,200-mile trek through uh, on the Ice Age Trail. Uh, wh- who was the other dog that was with you also? No, so I just, I just took Diggins, actually. Um, but she is um, she's, she wasn't mine. Um, and it was funny because... I posted to a mushers group on, on Facebook and I was like, Hey, uh, anybody willing to let me borrow their dog for 1200 miles? Uh, I know you all love your dogs a lot. <laughs> this is, and somebody was like, we might have the perfect dog for you. And, um, so that's how I got her for the trip. Um, and then I gave her back and it was, it was extremely like gut wrenching. And even though I own her now, it still makes me like tear up quite a bit. Cause like that moment was just so sudden. Um, and it wasn't like she, her owner was tearing her away from me. Her owner was awesome. Um, she was just like, all right, I think it's time for me to take Diggins home now. And I like just bawled like a child <laughs> in front of all these cameras and whatever. So, um, she became like a, like, uh, a friend I never knew I needed. And then that like kind of got taken away from me. But I, I also had my own dog before the trip, Zulu, who's laying behind me. He comes to work with me. And so he is now um, trying to warm up to his new sister. How do you build trust between yourself and 
Was it difference bet- different between you and Diggins and you and Zulu in terms of how you built that trust? Or is it the same across the board? Yeah, so I actually got Zulu when he was seven weeks old. And so, and we were, we were each other's only. Um, but I think, I think, and, and Diggins is three, three years old. I think that trust kind of comes about the same way, regardless of the age. And with Diggins, it was, um, it's just spending time with them, you know, and, and, um, for, I think across the board for most canines, like their love language is just quality time. Um, it doesn't always have to be like physical touch. Like not all dogs love being scratched or itched or whatever it's, you know? Um, and so just spending ample time. So when I got Zulu, my own dog, um, I took a week off from work cause I could. And then after that, my, the job I had at the time was traveling the United States and picking prairie grass and flower seeds. So I was in a car. I was kind of living out of a vehicle at the time because the university, um, didn't want to pay for, uh, hotels while I was traveling. So I was kind of just camping along the way. And so he and I spent all day, every day together. Um, like when he was a puppy, he would like fit inside my backpack and he would, you know, when he got tired, I just carry him around the prairie and it's like super cute. And with Diggins, it's, it's, you know, I didn't put her in my backpack. She's too big, but you know, we spent all day, every day together for 10 weeks, you know, that's a big deal. So we developed trust in that, in that way. And have you found the same thing between you and your partner in terms of, of building trust and, and that bond? And I'm asking this because so many people are struggling not just in building trust with their, their pet or the, you know, their dogs, but in a, a relationship. And, and so that quality time you're talking about love languages, is it about the quality time between you two also? I think that it needs to be quality, quality time that you're spending together to kind of build that trust, to be honest. Um, because you, you need to go through some stuff to build trust, right? So if you're always just like sitting next to each other, watching Netflix, but like never communicating <laughs> and like, I don't know if I would always trust the person that is willing to sit next to me for hours and hours watching Netflix, you know, like anybody could do that for you. Um, and so you kind of have to go through some, not, it doesn't have to be necessarily hard times, but like something where it, uh, it takes capacity to be there and to be present, I think, to gain that trust. And, um, we, we definitely have gone through that. And even having Diggins at the house, we're going through that just like, can I trust you to take care of this new dog, (laughs) you know, and stuff like this. And like, can we do this together? Can we raise this dog together? Um, and I, and this is me, look, folks, I don't, we're not married and we don't have children. So this is conjecture from a far way away. But I think that's why having children either like makes or breaks relationships too, because that's a lot of trust with a new human being, right? That's a lot. Like, can I lean on you to help me in this situation? Or even maybe house plants, you know, (laughs) I think you can build trust with your partner, buy a plant and see how that goes. Can you both take care of it together? (laughs) It'll be meaningful quality time. (laughs) <laughs> no, it, it's true. It takes a lot, especially like if you're going on a trip and you're asking your neighbor or a friend or somebody to take care of your plants. Because <laughs> I know that you garden, I, I you know, like you, you definitely develop a relationship between yourself and the, and, and the plants. And uh, so you just can't have anybody uh, watering them. Uh, some might overwater, some might underwater. That's right. I saw that you posted something on your Instagram about bees. 
and yeah. and uh, and it's interesting because I was watching this clip about this woman who went into a house because they had a, a bee infestation, and she was just pulling up the board. She didn't have a mask on or anything like that. And I know this is a bit off subject, but it, what are, what's our biggest misunderstanding of bees? Because I just assume bees see you, they sting you, and then they move on. But that clearly does not seem to be the case. And I, totally. I, I want to demystify it for people out there who are terrified of bees. Absolutely. And I love that. So I know exactly that lady that you're talking about, and she seems super red. Um, I raise honeybees here, too. The one I posted was a bumblebee. Um, and bumblebees do have stingers. But here's the thing um, for bees. Like, so look, we need to determine between bees and wasps. And the, the key difference I want people to know about the difference between those two is that wasps do not have barbs on their stinger. And bees, honeybees, bumblebees, they have barbs on their stingers. And so when their stinger goes into you, it pulls out of their body and all their insides are pulled out also. So they die when they sting you. So a bumblebee or a honeybee, like it's never their intention to sting you because they know they will die. Um, and they don't want to die. <laughs> That's not their instinct at all. They only sting if they feel like they are in danger or their whole hive is in danger, right? Um, so essentially what you could do is, you know, if you had something sweet on your fingers and you saw a bee and it's not a wasp, you could let it land on you. You'll probably lick the nectar or whatever sweet you have off your fingers and they'll fly away and they'll be nice to you. So that's the thing. Wasps, yellow jackets, on the other hand, like Google the difference between what they look like because they do not have barbs and they are jerks and they will just sting you over and over and over again. And they do not care how you feel about it. And you, they, they don't, you don't have to make them angry. If they're thirsty or like tired or whatever, they'll be like, man, I'm just going to sting you. So that's the difference. Um, but with both of them, I just always recommend just never swat at them. Usually, usually in nature, just like, don't, don't go punch a bear. <laughs> you know, like there's just common things in the world, right? A bear is probably going to swipe right back. If you start to punch it, a bee or wasp is going to try to sting you. If you try to swat at it, you know, it feels like it's in danger. Um, but honeybees and bumblebees, they're so fun. They're, they're cute. It sounds like a general rule of thumb <laughs> overall, right? Like if you don't swat at people or punch people, chances are they're not going to punch you back. That's right. <laughs> and so I would imagine on this, you know, 1200 mile trek through the Ice Age Trail um, that most people that you encountered were honeybees and, and maybe there's a few wasps al along the trail. And I bring it up because so many people would be terrified of like who they would encounter and uh, people or, you know, animal uh, what was your findings in terms of your, your typical encounter with people along the trail? Yeah, it was so, it was a funny thing. So here's the thing. I grew up in the Midwest my whole life. I'm from Minnesota, <clears throat> Wisconsin's right next door. Um, and so I've, you learn in the Midwest to learn how to read in between the lines. We have a special type of communication over here. It's called passive communication. So if you want to actually learn anything about what we're saying, you have to just read between the lines, right? And so when I, when I started playing for this trick, it was odd at how many people were nervous for me to go because I wasn't nervous. Um, most of my life, I've been the only person of color in the room. That's not true. The only black person in the room. There's usually a lot of Asian descent folks uh, around, but I was definitely usually the only black person in the room. And uh, I was like, well, whatever. 
this has just been my life. And for the people who met me on the trail, they were super kind. Um, people would actively like leave their homes in the middle of the winter and like hike around for like three, four hours to find me on the trail, like just to like give me something or um, say hello or like take a picture with me. And like, it was, it was really cool. And like, I kind of decided a little ways on after I was hiking more, just like the yellow jackets and the wasps of the, of the trail. They either a weren't following my trip and B, they just didn't like, they just didn't care. Like hiking and backpacking, searching for a person in the middle of the winter is just not their shtick. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So that's totally fine. And the news was super great about it, that they wouldn't really post their story on me till after I was through their county or like through their town or whatever. So I could kind of like just like kind of scoot on by and get out of there. But most people were super generous and I love that. That was really fun. So did you feel uh, connected to these people? Uh, during that trip, you know, I, I was watching a YouTube vlogger and he was saying how if he's anywhere for less than three months, he doesn't feel connected. It, it starts to actually feel lonely. You have to be there for three months. Did you feel that, uh, during the trail? Yeah, no, I don't, I didn't really feel there was, there's a couple people that I feel more connected to. Um, and I still stay in touch with them, but they, they had meaningful, meaningful impacts. Um, like I spent several days at their home or like, um, one of the people, like I had lost my glasses on the road one day and I, I called her up. She hiked with me the day, a couple of days before. And I called her up to ask her if she could, um, see if she could find my glasses on the road. And she found them and like found me and got my glasses back to me. And it was like a blizzard day. There were like plows going by, like all this stuff. So it was like, again, that trust building. Cause like she and I went through something kind of together. Um, and now I know I can rely on her probably for anything after that. This lady went out in a blizzard to find my brown glasses on the ground, you know? Um, but everybody else that I met, I, I can, I agree with what that person said. It gets, it's a different type of loneliness than people would think. Um, when you don't see the same people like, consistently or like have a pattern of people that you're seeing um in your daily life because then you really realize that you are really alone and a lot of the people who I saw or met up with really kind of wanted to dine and dash so they like wanted to take a picture with me and like hand me something and then they would like be like oh so good to meet you uh your inspiration and then like they would you know bye and I've I've never I I don't even know their names to be honest um, which is a bummer, but I, that's just how it was. Th that I would imagine that that could be exhausting because here's somebody that you haven't met and, and they have this energy about them. They're so excited to see you. So you feel like you have to match that energy yes. and then they get the, they get what they want. It's so transactional and then they yes. take off and now you're left standing with all this adrenaline from having met them and you still got like 1100 miles <laughs> to go. Yes. <laughs> yes yeah it was and it yeah i i experienced this before when i was doing when i was doing that job i was telling you about um working for the university and traveling because we would meet really cool people my dog and i would meet really cool people but we drove from minnesota down to florida and like so many people were interested in what we were doing because it's weird to be out in the middle of prairies picking picking prairie seeds but i've just never seen them again and i was like dang this kind of sucks <laughs> 
So what was the impetus for going on this 1,200-mile trek in the middle of, of winter? You know, I, I read that the, the weather got below like 30. It was like minus 35 degrees, frostbit on the toes and fingers. Who gets out of bed for that? <laughs> yeah. I do, I guess. Yeah. I do. And I do. And a bunch of other people do, <laughs> actually. Uh, there's there's more than a handful of us, I guess. I don't know. I Well, the season was because I get laid off in the wintertime. I get laid off for December, January, and February. Um, and, and I'm not a farmer, but my job is akin to farming. You know, I, I work on all these formal, I work on formal gardens and flower gardens and vegetable gardens. Um, and I do have people that work under me, but... Um, I just, it's just good for me to be here. I, I can't take off three months to really do something like that. Um, so that's why I ended up doing it in the wintertime. But I also was just really itching to do a long hike. I love backpacking. That's just kind of the, there's like a certain feeling of like um, packing up all that you have and walking around with it. Like think, think about it if everything you had, you had to carry for the rest of your life. Like I can see like you have a mic stand, you probably have like a computer, like you have a computer and like probably some other cameras, like that stuff is heavy and that's not even your clothes or your food. Like if you had to carry all this stuff around for the rest of your life, you'd be a strong boy, <laughs> you know, like you'd be a strong man. And so I, there's just something I really like about that. And just hanging out in the middle of the woods, like I, it feels right. I feel very much at home when I'm sleeping in the trees quite a bit, yeah. You know, it makes sense. I had a, a a deep sea diver on and she talked about how, you know, I was like, aren't you worried about sharks and, you know, get to the bottom? She's like, you know, there's a point where uh, you're going down, down, and she was a free diver. And then the the gravity starts to pull her down. And she said that's where she felt more connected, more at peace, because no one is there to judge you. No one is there to look at. No one's no one's there to notice that you're the only black person in the room or in the city or at work. It's just you with yourself. And there's a, a feeling of, of oneness. Uh, is that part uh, of what you experienced out there also? Yeah, if you spend enough time. And I'm sure that that diver can would probably resonate with this, too, of like you spend enough time out in the wilderness, which I would call the old ocean, the wilderness too, you'll start to notice the pattern of the other animals that are out there. Like you'll kind of start even down to like mice, you'll see their little footprints and you'll like kind of see where they go on the snow at nighttime while you're sleeping and what they're doing. And you'll kind of begin to understand like the movement patterns of the, you know, predatory animals that are around you. And you'll understand the circadian rhythm of every other animal out there, like you realize that there is a determined shift between day animals, dusk animals, and night animals, and dawn animals. Like they are all, they all take shifts during the day to do their thing. And like we, I think in our homes, like we don't, we don't, we don't know that. We just think that deer, well, up here anyway, <laughs> we just think that deer always live outside, always eating our plants every hour of the day. And that's just not true. And so I, I like that. It just, it, like I said, it just feels right. You know, like I, I, I'm happy with like technological advancements. Right. But like, there's a part of my heart that like feels like the pulling of like ancestors that are just like, don't forget that you came from this dirt as did everything else. 
and you were a part of this wilderness and you were wild once. Don't forget that. And I think that backpacking helps me remember that. Yeah. No, it it absolutely makes sense. Uh, There's definitely a connection when you see the stars and the moon. And it's like you said, when you start recognizing the patterns, everything seems so chaotic at first. And then you realize, oh, you know, the, the, when the moon comes up, this happens and you hear these sounds and uh, it starts to you start to fall into a groove. You talked about predators. Were there any predators that you had to be aware of? Uh, and were there any encounters with predators during this trip? The most predatory animal that we saw uh, in person were raptors, you know, birds. So like eagles, hawks owls um and i have a deep respect for birds um uh, because they, they 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 just seem so sporadic to me sometimes so that was one thing i think um a lot of people are more worried about wolves and coyotes and bobcats and we heard wolves and coyotes quite a bit and saw their tracks but um we didn't we never came across any actual animal um, but there was, there is a forest called the Shawamigan Forest, which is quite remote and really wild. Actually, it's really beautiful. And we were ended, we ended up night hiking, like at seven or eight o'clock at night. And like Diggins, her ears were like just like little radars, like boop, 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 boop. like. And I'm like, oh man, something is watching us. Like, and I could feel like something is watching us walk along these ridges. And like the only thing I could like think in my mind is just like thank you for letting me be a visitor here. Like, thank you for letting me walk through your territory and thank you for letting me see how you live. And I think at that moment, it just like everything flipped for me to be like, I, I was part of this wild once. I am not any longer. And so I, now I'm a visitor. Like I can't own this area, but I'm so thankful that I get to, you know, experience this with everybody. And by everybody, I mean, the animals out in the woods because there's no people out there. So it sounds like your response to fear is, um, I don't know if gratitude is the word or appreciation, you know, because in that situation, if, if I see, you know, my dog, his ears, you know, shoot up, uh, my response may, might be fear and like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? I'm in danger where it seems like you took a pause, took a breath grounded yourself and was like, I'm just very happy to be here. I, you know, I got my, like my palms are open. <laughs> I come with yeah. only good intentions. I'm not staying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to hang out here. I'm just mm-hmm. passing through. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that people don't give nature the benefit of the doubt when it comes to this goes right back to how we started. We were talking about honeybees. It's the same in, in bees. Like every time I see one, I'm like, God, man, you make all my food for me, you know, like you and your little body, you make all the food that I eat, you know? And I'm just like, I'm, I, I'm just always so thankful. And ah, I, man, that could be like a whole soapbox. 100%. I say that to the soil. I say that to the rocks. I say that to the water. Like, what am I? I'm just a consumer, man. Like, look at, you know, look at me. I'm just consuming things. You know, I don't give back as much as, you know, a lot of rest of nature does. Even my body, my body won't even be given back to the, I'll probably be burned or stuck in a box. You know what I mean? Like at least other animals give their bodies back to the earth. Like I'm just a consumer here before I leave. <laughs> I know there is a movement where people are now uh, uh, being buried in grape leaves so that they can just naturally decompose back 
which absolutely makes sense to me. Like I, this whole coughing thing's a scam. <laughs> it's just capitalism at its. I don't know. Even if that's too... <laughs> even to the death, <laughs> just they just snatch your money. Yeah, yeah, get you <laughs> it out of your cold dead hands. <laughs> uh. you, you know, growing up, you, you mentioned being the only black kid. Um, you know, in, in a lot of arenas, a lot of areas. Growing up, was that for me? I had a, a similar upbringing. And I, you know, we talked about this in the last episode where I felt accepted, but never a part of. Did you feel accepted growing up in in uh, in in school and at home and in your community, or did you feel ostracized because of your skin color, or was it like a a, a mix of both? I think, like, I don't, I don't. So it's um. So it kind of, it's my life is a little divided. So I spent a lot of my time in Northern Minnesota, um, like North central Minnesota in a little town called Jacobson didn't have more than 200 people. Um, and that's where my grandparents lived. And I spent as much time as I could on my mom's side. So my grandparents are white and, um, like I was the only person of color for miles. I mean, I'm talking like hundreds of miles at this point and everybody up there, you know, like I was a kid, I I think when I was younger, I thoroughly believed that they just loved me. Um, and that's just how it was. And I don't think I realized how different I was until later in my life. Um, and just different just by like, my hair is different. My skin is different. Like to take care of my body is just a little different than it is for theirs. Um, and then in the cities, because, you know, I grew up in the Twin Cities. Um, just everybody, everybody there. Um, like all my friends, we were all from different, I think all my friends were from different continents at that point. My parents had oddly found this like little niche neighborhood where there was like just a whole bunch of cultures thrown in all together. Um, and so that was always like, I always had that home to come back to. And so that always felt really good. Things kind of started to unfold maybe a little bit more when I started becoming an athlete. Um, and I think look at me a little different my sister and I were both athletes um and we both landed in uh track and field through shot and disc in high school um and I think that's when I kind of started to realize like oh they expect black people to be fast they expect black people to jump high and they expect you know white people to run long distances but um sprinters should probably be black so like there's these different things and that's like huh I don't know what throwers are supposed to be because they're always like Bulgarian and like Russian. So I don't know like what we're supposed to do out here, but that's kind of when I started to see the differences in folks, it, but I never felt any hostility. I was a weird kid though. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I was a weird little kid looking back on it. I just never stuck to the norm. And I think a lot of people talked about me behind my back. I don't think I cared <laughs> to be honest. So I would just hang out by myself and my dog and like my dog was my best friend at the time and still is. Um, and I just like, I was, because here's the thing also is I was a closeted little kid. Um, I looking back on it, like I've been gay my whole life. Like I used to think my sister's friends were so cool, <laughs> like with air quotes. I just thought they were cute at that point, <laughs> you know? And so I think all these other people knew, uh, but I was just like, Oh no, this is just like, these clothes are comfortable. I, this is how I, this is how everybody thinks. And so I think there's a lot of other things that were factoring into 
the making of who I am now. <laughs> so, long-winded answer, but yeah. Well, you know, you, you said that you felt like everybody knew that, you know, you were closeted. Was it, was there like a, a, the big reveal party or was it just like, uh, we already knew, pass me the butter? Like, what was that, <laughs> what was that moment like for you? This, <laughs> this is, this is um, probably the most um, telling, telling moment. My grandma, um, my, my mom's mom, who I hung out with a lot in those summers, uh, she has, she's had a bunch of strokes recently and, um, her speech is really poor. It's pretty poor. Um, to get a sentence out is pretty tough for her. And, uh, it was Christmas and like, we're cutting vegetables together. And I was like, I started dating somebody. Uh, it was, a you know, my current partner actually right now. And I was like, Hey grandma, I have something to tell you. And I'm like trying to like unfold this whole thing toward to be like, okay, like you're this type of Christian, I think. And like, you're very old school, like, you, you know, all these things. And I'm like, grandma, like I'm dating, um, a woman. And she's like in perfect, clear speech. Like this lady, like at this point had like several strokes. She's like, Oh, I knew that already about you. I still love you. And like, just goes back to chopping. Like, I was like, did you have strokes or not? Are you just lying to all of us? Like, what games are you playing right now? Like, come on. And, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how it went for everybody, you know, and everybody knew, man, like if you look at pictures of me, like, and here's the thing, it's not about how you dress because you, you, everybody's on a spectrum, but like, if you just looked at me, my, like, my being, my presence, you're like, that's a gay little kid right there. And she don't even know, you know? So, yeah. And so have you had a lot, I would imagine, you know, be, completing something like this in the publicity you're getting, are you getting a lot of messages from other young girls who grew up similarly to you and like an inspiration? Has there been a, a letter or a message that's impacted you? I think the people who grew up like me and the people who, whose stories are similar to mine, I think they're actually the quiet folks, to be honest. And they may be the people I never really hear from. I've gotten, I've gotten letters from lots of people, um, from being black, white, straight, gay, whatever on the spectrum, whatever color you are. Um, and however you identify, but people who have similar stories to me, I I really think those are the people who are like going to quietly go, do some really cool things. And then like, I'll hear about it when I'm like 60 years old. And they're like, I was just too afraid to write to you and tell you this, but you really, you know, you helped me get over this hurdle. And I think that's how it's going to go. Yeah. because That's how it's going to go. <laughs> because, uh, you know, you didn't really, your, um, intention really wasn't to, to publicize this and, and you didn't really think like, Oh, this is going to, you know, garner all the attention that, you're receiving at, at this time. This is something that you quietly wanted to do going on this, on this trail. And, uh, but was there a part of you that wanted to inspire other black girls or, uh, you know, people of color or people in the LGBTQ community to, uh, be out there in the woods and trek? Yes. And that, that part was sparked. It finally, things kind of finally lined up for me, for me. Um, after George Floyd's murder, I just like saw people, a lot of black people, like just finding how they fit into the movement of like racial and social justice. And I'm just like, 
like my sister is really good at um like protesting she's really good at doing peaceful protests my partner's really good at like donating food and like needs and stuff like that and, like i'm all for both of those but like it's not really my niche neither of those really are and when things start to unfold and i started to like kind of plan this trip a little bit i'm like this this is this is my niche my dad has they're not irrational feelers at all, but he is afraid. Like he's afraid of the dark. He's afraid to be, you know, like he's in that quintessential like people group of color, black people um, who are afraid to be outside after dark due to very justifiable reasons. And I'm like, I bet that there's still tons of people my age that are like that older, younger, whatever. And I'm like, these are the people I don't want you to be afraid while outdoors. You don't have to be white to be safe outside after dark. First of all, a wolf can't tell you. The full wolf doesn't know color, so they're either going to eat you or not. <laughs> you know, so it doesn't matter. It tastes the same, um, I'm assuming. Um, and so you don't, you don't need to be afraid like that. And I, I really am happy that I chose to go through Wisconsin, which is known as a pretty conservative and like, like tight state where people maybe don't speak out or up or against racism, but it's definitely happening like under, under the behind the scenes. And I'm like, I want you to feel comfortable even in these rural areas, a, cause you don't know the people, they could actually be super awesome people that it's just all their neighbors have flags that make you feel uncomfortable and they're just cramming them or B, you know, they have those flags in it, but they have different reasons for believing what they believe. And they're actually going to be super nice to you anyway. There's just so many complicated things that are happening and people are complicated. I'm just like, I want you all to feel comfortable outside. That doesn't mean you're not going to get harassed. It doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt, but that doesn't mean you have to be afraid of that also. I love that idea of, I want you to feel comfortable outside and it, it, it's, there is something uh, soothing about it where uh, I don't feel comfortable outside, but I do feel alive outside in nature, if that makes sense. Because I'm always aware that there is a wolf. There is an owl that might try to come scalp your boy, you know, or even dehydration. You know, maybe, maybe I didn't bring enough water. It, it, there's so many opportunities. Um, being a quiet person, I would assume that you're also an avid reader. Uh, is there a book? No, no audio books, no reader. I do like audio books. Um, I'm, I think I, if you give me five more years, I will probably listen to audio books every single day. College ruined me. And I am still, I am still on the men's from reading books for college. Look, and I graduated so many years ago. I graduated in 2015. So it's been a hot minute since I've been in college, but I just like, yeah, if I do any book, I, I read it, but go ahead and ask your questions. I think I actually have a good answer. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, the, the question was like, if you, uh, I was going to ask if there was a book that you took with you. Cause I just think about like, um, I forget the woman who did the North pole and like, there was one book that she took with her. When I read about people who go on these solo hikes, they always seem to take one book with them. And I wonder mm -hmm. if there was a book that you took or maybe a journal or something you took with you that gave you kind of an insight that you probably otherwise wouldn't have had, had you not been on this track. 100%. There's, 
there's there's a group at my work and we read we started reading books like many other people did just on other cultures and so we read through these books together um and we're currently on indigenous folks to our area so the Ojibwe um and the book that I started reading well I finished uh was called The Wolf's Trail and it's an Ojibwe story told by wolves and while I was reading that, it at the same time, Wisconsin's DNR agreed to open up for a wolf hunt. And um, yeah, Trump had, Trump had taken them off of the endangered species list right before he left office. And which is super unfortunate because they just, they just, <laughs> they've been on there forever. Um, and what happened was folks weren't reporting their um, kills and there's like a, there was a limited number amount of kills they were supposed to get because you have to if they're managing populations you can't just go out and kill all of them right so people weren't reporting that they were killing these wolves and they would just kill a bunch of them because when you, you get a pack together right you can guns are you can kill multiple things right and then they all reported their reports on the same day um, and so all of a sudden like twice as many wolves were killed in half the amount of time that they were actually allotted. They were supposed to get a whole week. They got like three days. And um, that would have been impactful to me anyway. But like, since I was reading this book and just like how wolves were here and then people came and then how indigenous folks and wolves meant like they meshed their lives together and how they like used each other, like for like, you know, wolves would use humans to gather food. Because humans would do that, and then humans would use wolves to help them hunt the food because they have such keen senses and like help them protect them. And there's just like this relationship, and I can feel that with my own dog, and I felt that deeply with Diggins. And just like reading this book and like hearing about what became more of a slaughter than um, a hunt, um, it just like it just killed me. Like I rarely ever post about things like save the wolves, <laughs> but. I would, I made a post about it and I was just like, you guys, this is not cool. Like it, it reminded me in this book also in reading this book, it just reminded me that like going back to what I was talking about before, like we just don't own, we don't own, we, you don't own dirt. You don't own these things we think we own. Right. And just every step I took, like going through these different territories of all these other animals, I'm like, I'm just a visitor here. And like reading this book, I'm like, I'm literally just a visitor here. Like, what am I, what am I doing? I can't own this trail. And a lot of people after the trip, they'd be like, oh, that's like your trail now. And I'm like, look, don't call it my trail. It's, it's some, it's <laughs> the wilderness's trail, you know? And so that book, it's not a very big book, but it just, every time I read it, I start crying every single time. So like Diggins would just be like laying next to me. Like we could hear the coyotes in the background howling and yipping. I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> You, you, you made a distinction between uh, a, a slaughtering versus a hunt. Can, can you tell me, can you dig a little deeper into that, that distinction? For sure. So there's a small bit in the laws of Wisconsin, and they allow you to use dogs to hunt with. And this is hunting any animal. So we do think of you know, hunting fowl with dogs. So like, pheasant, grouse, ducks, right? Uh, but what they do is they use a pack of dogs to flush out packs of wolves. 
And then they'll use their snow machines or snowmobiles. Some people call them snowmobiles or four wheelers or whatever side by sides. And they'll corral, um, they'll herd pretty much the pack of wolves and they'll tire them out because an engine can run a lot longer than a wolf can. And the canines too. And they'll just corner them and then just bang, 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 kill a whole bunch of them in one go. And crazy, like back in the day, and, and sometimes still too, when when wolves' pelts were, well, the way that wolves kind of got on the endangered list is that they would just shoot them from the sky, from helicopter or from low flying planes. They would just chase down their packs with a low flying plane and just pretty much machine gun them out of the sky or off the ground, out of the ground. And I just I consider that a slaughter. I consider that just like just like lining. It's just like lining people up and killing them. It's no different because the wolves didn't do anything. And that's, that's like the hardest part is people kind of give that stigma, right? We, and we're, we're learning about the stigma too, for, for like black males, especially black male humans. So just like, there's this stigma that's out there and like, who put that stigma out there? And the thing, the same thing is for wolves. There's like a stigma that like, they come in the middle of the night and they'll kill your family. And like, this is, this is some this is some Frankenstein bull that you're talking about. Like you read a book one time and it made you scared. And so now you have a gun and you feel like you can do whatever you want. So if you want just to hunt something, right. That's totally, that's I, I, my belief personally is only hunt something that you're going to eat. I disagree with predatory hunting. Um, if you're a farmer and like you have this one coyote or this one wolf that like keeps eating all of your chickens and your chickens are your livelihood, you deal with that the way you need to deal with it. You need to kill that. That's how you need to deal with it. Um, but if you're not going to eat it, don't hunt it. Cause what's the point? It doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you, you clearing that up because, uh, that, that was a beautiful sentiment and how you, you know, you tied it into, you know, the, the slaughtering or the hunting of, of black men or of a group of people, any group of people, because your sister is also a police officer and in Minnesota, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't want to ask a general question, but um, have there been discussions about race and her being a police officer or are there things that have that you've learned about her and policing that you were, you know, surprised by or that kind of stuck with you? Yeah, it's it's been really interesting to like. Yeah, she and I talk about race all the time because um, she has to live with it. She has to live with it more in her face than I do kind of daily. Um, I think she really appreciates being um, a black officer because I think she, she knows that it's meaningful. She knows that it gives, um, it gives weight. It, she carries a lot of weight around with her. So I, I know that it means, it means a lot to her. Um, but also, yeah, but also it's just really difficult for, like I was saying, it's, it's like, she, she, the thing that she struggles with is just like towing that line. Right. Because she loves to, she loves to be on the protest line. She knows she has it so deep inside of her to fight for justice, actual justice, right. Not justice that's peeking up from underneath the blinds, but like justice that is just for everybody. Um, and so she, you know, she's actively fighting for that, like on the lines with the people, with the citizens. And she's trying to figure out how, <laughs> how does she do that well as a police officer? 
um, it's funny sometimes that it seems easier to do it as a citizen than it is as a law enforcement. And I think um, other police officers kind of wrestle with the same thing as well. One of the coolest things, though, is just like seeing the difference between her and other officers um, kind of that you hear about on the TV. Like I've, I've been on ride alongs with her. And if you've never been on a ride along with a police officer, like if find one that you trust, like it's actually pretty cool. It's really fun because you see a whole different side um, of what it's actually like. It's a lot of just driving around <laughs> and a lot of paperwork. <laughs> um, but like the communities that she has steeped herself in, they, they just adore her. Like they know that they can call on her and like, she's not going to judge them. She's not going to whatever with them. Like she will respond and she will respond with her heart. She will respond with her mind and she's not going to respond with force. And like, like people, whenever I go on ride alongs with her, they just like, they're like, Oh, you're her little sister. Oh, let me tell you all about your big sister. Like they'll tell me all these things about how cool she is. Like all this other stuff. And like, look, I grew up with her 20 for 28 years. Like I know this already, like, you know, I totally get it, but it's so cool that people like, it's not, I don't, they don't need to be in love with her. They don't have to like love her like a whole lot, but they know they can lean on her. And like, that's, that's like, I feel like what policing is supposed to be about. Like we're supposed to be able to lean like on our law enforcement for help. And I'm like that, like, I know there are good gold nuggets somewhere in the law enforcement system because my sister is one of them. I appreciate you sharing that. Definitely. Cause we don't hear enough of those stories. Every now and again, we get a little Facebook meme or video or something <laughs> yeah. of a basketball or a, a cop playing basketball with, with some urban youth or something like that. But uh, we definitely need to hear more of those stories. Yeah. Uh, last two questions. Um, you have often talked about, you know, between hiking 1,200 miles and, and, uh, and all the accomplishments that you've had in, in sports and track and field, how do you decompress? You know, because I can tell you're very achievement-oriented and it, it, I mean, just even squeeze you into this hour. I I I, I want to say thank you for taking this time out. How do you decompress when everybody seems to be in this go 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 mode and uh, don't know how to take time for themselves? Yeah, it de- it kind of depends on. I think it comes in layers. Um, when I when I'm all wound up, I like to work more. Um, I think mostly for the distraction piece, right? So like when tragedy kind of happens in my life, my first thing to go to is like, what project can I work on? How can I get something done to like kind of feel control over my life? But once that clutter has settled at the bottom, um, like my partner and I, we love going to the beach. We love going like, we, we love just like going for a hike together in the woods and hanging up our hammocks and just like sleeping in our hammocks in the woods, like hanging out with our dogs, hanging out at the beach, doing whatever. Um, also turning my phone on airplane mode, chef's kiss to the airplane mode for the rest of my life. Um, so like I'll throw my phone on airplane mode. We'll go to the beach and like, just hang out, sit in the sun, sleep. I always fall asleep. 100% guaranteed. You catch me one side darker than the other because I fell asleep, you know, or just like, yeah, hanging out in the trees. Yeah. 
I love that you talked about exercising and how that got you out of bed this morning. Is there a type of workout that you're doing? And is that workout change when you have an upcoming uh, trail that you're going to do? Yeah. So I, before I left for my trip, um, I didn't go to the gym at all because they were closed. (laughs) I haven't been, I hadn't been to the gym in like a year uh, because they're a cesspool of germs and sweat. Um, so now I've just gotten back into, this is my second week, actually only going back. I used to competitively lift. I used to power lift competitively, um, which are the, the three are the deadlift, the bench and the squat. There's only three that you need to do. Um, but now I do it because I like being strong. Number one. Um, I like having muscles. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but also like, I like the feeling of lifting something heavy. (laughs) Like it feels like a good, like it feels like something that's difficult to do. Um, But after I've accomplished it, I'm just like, yeah, I lift it. I pick that bar off the ground and I put it back down. Like that's kind of all lifting really is in a nutshell. Um, So yeah. So right now I'm not, I don't think I'm going to go back and competitively lift, um, but I'll still use the same formula because it, it does, it does just make you, strong. Having a strong frame is really good, I think. Yeah, it makes the rest of the day feel a lot lighter, you know, yes, when you, when you, when you, especially if you PR'd, you're like, what? I could write a best-selling novel. <laughs> <That's> uh, <right. laughs> um, and then last question, because I asked this of all my guests, because uh, I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the cusp of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Emily? Yeah, I think I'm just going to kind of reiterate what we talked about before of just like, I, I, I like, I get that feeling. I get that feeling. Right. And usually that feeling comes over me when I'm just like, when I've tried to achieve too much, do too much at one time, I'm overwhelmed and I'm just sick. I'm just sick of doing it all. I'm sick of like performing too much for people. I'm sick of like performing for myself. It seems stupid. It doesn't even seem worth it. Um, and I felt that way. And we talked about loneliness, you know, this go around. And um, one of the deepest times of loneliness I ever felt was when I was working for the university doing that prairie picking job, prairie seed picking job. And um, I just, I just had all the worst thoughts and, and an exercise that like, I hate calling it exercise. It sounds so cheesy, but I had to practice it of just like, in my mind, I would just pretend I was writing a letter to every person that made an impact in my life. And I would think, I would, I would think through the whole letter, what I would tell them, um, or I would speak it out loud. I'd be like, you know, dear first grade teacher, Miss Morningstar, like, this is, this is what, this is what you did for me. And this is how you impacted me. And like, I would go through like, I would go through like teachers. I went through teachers, family members, um, and everything like that. And then I just started moving to like simple, more simple people. Like, thank you. Like that grocery store clerk, that one time that smiled at me and I was having a terrible day. Like, thank you for not judging me for buying a hundred packs of ramen. And just like, you didn't even care. And you said, you're a poor college student and I love you anyway. Thank you for shopping here. Like it came to that point of just like realizing that so many more people loved me and treated me with kindness. Um, and then realizing that I have done that too. And then like, instead of focusing on the negative, like 
your head and your heart is full of all of these kind of like little spots of love. And when I did that, I mean, I was, I, I remember I was driving down like some highway. I just, it was like really desolate and I was just bawling, like ugly cry bawling while I was driving this rental vehicle. And I was like, I was like, all right, okay. Like, all right. And if anything, if all costs, just think about your pet. If you have an animal at home, that what really broke me was thinking about just like, cause I was single at the time, like just leaving Zulu behind to the world of nothing, especially if, if I like, decided to do it on that trip, I'm like, he would just be there and nobody would take, and he would just be this orphan puppy. I'm just like that. I can't do that. Like there's, I love him too much. And I think, I think that's just, I think that's just helpful because you, a lot of people, including myself, we're surrounded by so many people, but like loneliness just sets its little teeth in and just convinces you that nobody understands and nobody knows you and nobody cares to know you. That's a bunch of bull. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, it almost made me laugh when you were as detailed to talk about, you know, driving in this rental car. The fact that you <laughs> specified a rental car, I don't know, but that was funny. <laughs> But, uh, but I, you know, on a daily basis, I will write in my phone, um, compliments I receive. There's a song that I listen to on most days and it talks about, you know, forget about, um, the criticisms and remember the compliments. And I realized the only way for me to do that is to write it down because I will forget. Yes. Um, Emily Ford, where can people find you? You can follow me on Instagram at Emily on trail. I mean, if you're in Duluth, I work at Glenshane. So pop on in the old historic home right there in Duluth. <laughs> Ask for the gardener. You'll find me. But if, you. you're, if, you're, if you're virtual, at Emily on Trail. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. And remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. Call the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or the million of other uh, phone numbers listed in there. There's uh, the Trevor Project. There are international numbers in there. There's chat, there's email. There's someone who is willing to listen to you right now at this very moment for free. Uh, please reach out. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Emily. You're welcome.